Hello everyone, um, welcome to this week's podcast. I can't believe this is the third one already, it feels like time is going really, really fast at the moment. I wasn't too sure what I was going to talk about this week, but with what was supposed to happen last weekend, I thought I'd talk about that. Anyone that knows me knows that I actually really love Eurovision. I mean really love Eurovision, like a lot. I'm not a super fan. There are people I know who can tell you exactly who came, I don't know, 15th in 1993 or something like that. I'm not like that. But I I do love Eurovision. I've watched it my whole life. One of my earliest memories is of watching Eurovision one Saturday night. And I think the reason that it kind of stuck with me, the reason that I fell in love with it was... Growing up, because it was a Saturday night, it was the one thing that my parents would let me stay up for. In the entire year, the one TV event that I was allowed to stay up and watch right to the end was Eurovision. And every year that got a little bit later, as the results took slightly longer each time. It crept closer and closer to midnight every single time. And I absolutely absolutely loved the fact that I was allowed to stay up you know when you're a kid and you're sort of seven or eight years old and you're not allowed to stay up usually beyond about eight o'clock at night and then all of a sudden it's nearly midnight wow this was this was the most exciting night of the year for me in fact as I got a little bit older I became more excited about Eurovision weekend than I did about Christmas oh and then Eurovision brought in the semi-finals now they've had semi-finals for quite some time However, they've only been televised for, well, a lot longer than I thought, actually. But really, we've only been able to see them on television for less than 15 years now. And so for me, it became this huge week-long event. It's one of my favourite things to do, was every every time it was coming around, on the Tuesday and the Thursday, I'd watch the two semi-finals, and then we'd get through to the final on Saturday. And it's a week-long celebration of just everything that's wonderful, I love music. I listen to music all the time. I'm working at home at the moment, like most of the world, and I'm listening to music almost the whole time that I'm doing that. I go out in my car. I like to listen to music in the car. I love going to gigs. Music is... I know everybody says that they really love music, but I really do love music. And Eurovision is just something else entirely. You get to see these little snapshots from all over Europe where everything's slightly different and... It's just so wonderful to get a glimpse at other cultures and what other people have wanted to put forward this year and why they've put the songs forward. There's always politics involved as well. Don't even get me started on the Eastern Bloc voting and things like that. I mean, that's you're never going to wipe that out now. But that aside, the songs can be used for political reasons. They're not supposed to, but they always manage to hide a message in there somewhere. It's a celebration of freedom. It's a celebration of being who you are, of love. And we need a lot of love in the world, particularly at the moment. I feel that it's very important that we celebrate all of our differences and all of our similarities. And this is where Eurovision comes in. It's just this wonderful, wonderful moment, this snapshot in time of where we are. With that said, unfortunately, Eurovision didn't quite take place in its normal format. For the first time in its 64-year history, this year, like almost everything else, 
Eurovision suffered from the COVID-19 pandemic. They decided that rather than not put on a show at all, they would do more of a tribute to Eurovision and everything that makes Eurovision great. And I'm glad that there was something. Uh, it wasn't quite what a lot of people were expecting. Um, we, I still feel that there could have been a competition element, that it would have been possible through different formats. The Eurovision rules kind of state, though, that everything has to be performed live. And, yeah, they were not being very flexible on the rules this year. So we ended up with this tribute show. Little 30-second snippets of all 41 songs that would have been in contention this year and messages from the artists about hope and love and peace and unity. We had some special performances as well, which was very nice to see uh, from Eurovision winners and contestants from the past, including probably everybody's favourite or certainly one of the favourites from recent years, 2015 winner Mans Zemelo, who has a very nice back garden in London. He won for Sweden, but he actually lives in London, and he performed an acoustic version of his winning song, Heroes, which was incredible. It was in tribute to all of the essential workers, the healthcare professionals, and everyone who's kept everything going in these incredibly weird times. It was so heart burstingly wonderful. It was just such a lovely version of that song. If you didn't feel something listening to it, then you've got no soul. And I don't even believe in a soul, to be honest. But it it's just an example of how wonderful Eurovision can be. But we don't want to dwell on the nasty, sort of sad things, do we? That's not the point of this podcast, because, as I said in the first one, we are trying to keep it light, we are trying to keep it fun. So, let's try and do that. Let's look at my favourite moments and songs. What I would have done this year had the competition taken place is I would have actually made notes during the night. I'd live tweet during the night as well, so watch out for that in future years. I'm hoping that next year everything will be back to normal and I will be live tweeting the entire event for like the whole week. But, couldn't do that, so I can't do my podcast on that, so it's going to be my favourite moments and songs from... Me, growing up, watching it. So I'm not going to be mentioning things like, oh, I don't know, when Brotherhood of Man won, or when Lulu took part back in the day, or Cliff Richard, or anything like that, because that predates me watching it. And I've seen these performances, and they're wonderful performances, and they're all part of the rich history of Eurovision. I'm talking about me from my memories of watching Eurovision, what I've grown up watching, what I've grown up loving and experiencing and things like that. And that also means that I get to avoid talking about ABBA. Now, I'm going to throw this one out here right now. I don't like ABBA. I hate ABBA so much, in fact, that when our DJ for our wedding came to do a consultancy thing with me and my then-husband-to-be, my now-husband, he said, is there anything that you want banned? Is there any songs or artists that you want banned? I'm guessing because people have their song with an X or something like that, and they don't want the bad memories to come back up or something like that. And I said, the only thing I want banned is ABBA. Anything by ABBA, just ban the lot of it. If people request ABBA, you ban it. And he looked at me funny, and then he burst out laughing, and he said, consider it done. I don't like ABBA. Wanted to throw that one out there because everyone considers them the biggest... Eurovision winners of all time and they are correct and I'm not denying the fact that they went on to have an incredibly successful career off the back of Eurovision 
wonderful, good for them, but personally, I don't know what it is. I hear an ABBA song and I want to crawl into a hole and die. So I'm just throwing that one out there. So this is why things like that will not be mentioned anymore in this podcast. Let me crack on then, shall I? First of all, Katrina and the Waves, Love Shine a Light. This was from 1997. Uh, Katrina and the Waves were probably better known for their much earlier hit, Walking on Sunshine. Um, If you don't know how that goes, look it up. I'm not going to start singing for you. I really am not. Even though my brain is telling me to, I'm really not. Uh, You don't need me to be doing that. My poor husband has to put up with me doing that all the time. Uh, So yes, Katrina and the Waves, uh, they did the song Love Shine a Light and incidentally was the theme of this year's Eurovision. Uh, They had all the artists singing the song. They had a live orchestra playing the song. It was the last time that the UK actually won Eurovision. Um, The two previous Eurovisions had actually been won by Ireland. They won two on the trot. So this was a competition that was being held in Ireland and then we won Eurovision and I believe we went on to hold it in Birmingham the following year in 1998. It was a great song. It's a really feel-good song. It's accessible to everybody. You can find something in it. It's about an all-encompassing love. Some people have said that it has religious connotations. Whatever you see in it works. It's a fantastic song and it was definitely a worthy winner. And of course, as a Brit, I'm going to have to mention Katrina and the waves love shine a light. Now, there'll be some ones in here that you're thinking, huh, that's a bit obscure. This is how much I love Eurovision. Back in 2010, there was a song called Opa, and it was by the Greek artist Georgios Aukos and Friends. And that was a fantastic song. That was a real party tune. You could dance to it. Everybody could sing Opa during the chorus. That was great fun. That was one of the first times that I became aware of the fact that I could actually watch the semi-finals. And I was so happy when he made it through to the live grand final. It didn't win or anything like that. It had my vote. I downloaded the song. I actually bought some of his albums off the back of that song. But that was that was my favourite song that year in 2010. I absolutely loved it and it was brilliant fun. And it was exactly what Eurovision was really all about. In 2012, there was a song by the Hungarian band Compact Disco called Sound of Our Hearts. This is one that is still on my playlist. In fact, I have a playlist that I put on in the car and it's just all of my favourite songs, and this song is part of it. Now, if I remember rightly, I'm not sure it even got out of the semi-finals, this particular song, which was a real shame because it's a really beautiful song. It's not quite that long. Now, what you need to know is that Eurovision songs have to come in at around, I think it has to come in at three minutes. So this one was about two and a half minutes, and it's just such a beautiful, lovely song and it's one of those ones that builds up and builds up and builds up and so what I end up doing is belting it out when I'm driving around it's the perfect song to belt out and I loved it I thought it was great I was surprised it didn't do better than it did I think it was one of the surprise losers of the year actually I think a lot of people are expecting that particular song to do a lot better than it did and I'm still not quite sure what happened there in 2010 
But never mind. No, sorry, 2012. But never mind. This one should be pretty obvious. To anyone who knows anything about Eurovision, Conchita Wurst from Austria, Rise Like a Phoenix. It was the 2014 winner. And I saw a performance of it on Saturday night. Now, where I live in the UK, if you're listening from outside the UK, sorry if this is a bit obvious to anyone living in the UK, we have the BBC, and the BBC is our broadcaster for Eurovision. And they put on a show before the kind of tribute show done by the EBU, that's the European Broadcasting Union, uh, of previous winners and, well, not necessarily winners as well, but songs that had a huge impact in Eurovision and allow people to vote for it. Now, unfortunately, ABBA won. Well, there's a flipping surprise. But Conchita vs. Rise Like Phoenix was in there, and I remember at the time in 2014 listening to that song and having chills go down my spine. It was just the most incredibly powerful song. It sounds like a Bond theme. In fact, Conchita has said that the performance was based on a Shirley Bassey performance of a Bond theme. And, I mean, it was so wonderfully done. It was so simplistic in its in its staging. A lot of acts over recent years have really gone all out with graphics and dance routines and pyrotechnics and you name it, they've gone for it. But this was very simple. There was a smoke machine going. There were flames, I think, at the end of the song when it really reaches its crescendo, that final note, which was just held perfectly and the gown oh my god that glittery long white gown and just unbelievable staging unbelievable performance the voice oh my god you shut your eyes you wouldn't know what you were watching because the thing is it was a worthy winner back in 2014 there were rumors very early on that Austria were going to put forward a drag queen. But not any old drag queen. This particular drag queen had long, beautiful, dark, flowing locks and a beard. And this was the thing. Everyone was like, oh, it's just a gimmick. It's just a gimmick. This is how they're hoping they're going to get the votes. This is how they're hoping they're going to win. No, not so. You see, what actually happened was this drag queen could sing. Real name Thomas Neweth, who had been in a boy band in Austria and had had some considerable success as part of this boy band, but once that had disbanded, had explored another side of his personality and of his sexuality and things like that, and had created this persona, Conchita. And, oh my God, the voice is just incredible. And... This is the thing, I think it was a bit of a shock when the semi-finals came round. Everyone was going, oh, we're expecting the bearded lady kind of thing. Kind of bring it out, you know, let's have a look, let's have a bit of a giggle. And then he opened his voice up to the world, or Conchita opened their voice up to the world. And it was mind-blowing. And all of a sudden, you were learning not to judge a book by its cover. It wasn't a gimmick, it wasn't... A way of trying to win. It was so much more than that. It really was. Don't judge a book by its cover. Look deeper. Look within. You would never in a million years have expected that voice to come out of that human being. And 
I think everybody learned such a valuable lesson and everybody knew immediately from the song lyrics and from what they were witnessing that this was something incredibly special. So Conchita is my absolute favourite winner of all time. I'm going to throw that out there right now. I, I got it right from the word go. I got it and I love it. And six years on, it's another one of those songs that's on my playlist. It's on my walking playlist. It's on my driving playlist. It's on my shower playlist. I like to think I can belt it out as well. And I cannot hold that end note in quite the way, same way that Conchita can do that end note. It's phenomenal. Build up is just incredible, and as I say, it's always sent chills down my spine. And I know this sounds like rambling, gushing, because I am a total fangirl for Conchita. I love Conchita and everything Conchita stands for, and it's just wonderful to have lived through that and to have experienced this amazing moment in time when people sort of stopped and took stock of what they previously believed in. And it's yeah. I have no other words to describe just how amazing that song was and that performance was and how valuable and how important that song was in terms of changing people's minds and changing people's views on a hell of a lot of things. And yeah, I'm going to leave it there because I could go on about Conchita all day to be perfectly honest with you. Now, complete change of tact here. No self... self... um, Well, I don't quite know what I'm going to say. Quarantine has made me lose my memory and my ability to speak English. No self-respecting Brit. There we go. No self-respecting British fan of Eurovision would be able to avoid this particular song. In 1996, our entrant was Gina G with Ooh Ah, Just a Little Bit. With fantastic lyrics such as Ooh Ah, Just a Little Bit, Ooh Ah, A Little Bit More. Uh, Yes. This was our entrant. It actually did a very respectable eighth. Now, bear in mind, this is the year before Katrina and the Waves won with Love Shine a Light. It couldn't have been much more different, but it was an upbeat pop song with attractive women dancing around. It's very suggestive, very seductive, but at the same time, it seemed to appeal on a kitchen camp level. It covered all the bases. It did well. It came eighth. It's incredibly respectable. And in the UK, it actually got to number one, which is very unusual. Quite often our Eurovision songs don't do that well in our own charts. Across Europe, they tend to release songs in multiple countries as singles well in advance. In fact, I was channel hopping the other day and the Russian entry for this year, what would have been used, is it's been released as a single. It was on our music channels over here. Uno, it's called. And I was looking at it thinking, oh, this is a bit quirky. This is a bit interesting. Nobody, none of the presenters for that particular channel mentioned that this was the Russian Eurovision entry. It's just, this is a song that's in the charts. I didn't know until I was watching the tribute show on Saturday night. I was like, wait a minute. Hang on. That's a Eurovision entry. I had no idea. But this is what happens, you see. They come up with these incredibly catchy tunes and they release them as singles all across Europe. So the rest of Europe has already had months and months and months of listening to these songs. Whereas our songs, we keep it like a secret until the week of Eurovision. Now, we're one of the big five. And what that means is that we will always get entries. So the big five are uh, the UK, Spain, 
Italy, Germany and France. We are guaranteed a spot every year if we want it. The only other guaranteed winner is the previous year's win... Well, sorry, the only other guaranteed entrant is the previous year's winner if they are not a member of the Big Five. Otherwise, everyone else has to go through the uh, semi-final system, including Ireland, who have won it seven times, more times than any other country. But we automatically get an entry. Now, maybe this is why we don't seem to try so hard, because Eurovision is also horrendously expensive to put on as a show. And we have done it a few times, and Ireland probably never want to host it again. <laughs> but but other countries do put their songs out there for a long time in advance, and this is probably where we're going wrong. Because we've had some great songs, they've just not done very well in the competition, because nobody knows who they are, they're listening to them for the first time, and that's just not good enough. When things like Sweden's entry, uh, Euphoria, won, uh, it was everywhere that one in 2012 and that was the year that me and my husband at the time my boyfriend went to ibiza now this was a big club hit we weren't clubbers we didn't really go for the clubbing we went to see another Balearic island that wasn't mallorca and it was everywhere every shop you went into was played at the poolside every time you walked along the beach you could hear it blaring from somewhere this had been the case for several months, and this was after Eurovision. It was everywhere. Now, this is where we've, as I say, we've always kind of gone wrong. However, Gina G did really well, despite perhaps it not getting a promotion across Europe that it, another country's song might have got. So, UR, just a little bit, placed eighth in 1996. That's the world we were living in. If you don't believe me, and you don't know the song, and you don't realise how incredibly Eurovision it is, look it up. Trust me, totally worth it. Uh, another fantastic entrant that won it, and was actually the, the surprise winner, Lordi, with Hard Rock Hallelujah. They entered for Finland in 2006, and they won. Now, how best to describe Lordi? Well... They are a Finnish metal band and they dress up head to toe in full monster outfits. You really do have to look it up. The makeup and the costumes are ridiculous. The amount of effort that goes into it is just insane. You have got to look up Lordy. Now, back in 2006, you're at the height of emo and I am an emo Fangirl. I will eventually end up talking a lot more about my favourite music, but needless to say, the bands that I was listening to at the time were things like My Chemical Romance, Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco, The Academy Is, Green Day, The Dresden Dolls. It was a lot of bands like that. And at the same time, I was also listening to a lot of metal. It was the year before I went to my first download festival. I was listening to things like Velvet Revolver, Iron Maiden, uh, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, uh, Trivium, uh, just all sorts of different metal bands at the time. And uh, Apocalyptica, great band, fantastic band, really unusual. They do covers of songs in a metal style on cellos. It's just the most wonderful performance. I've seen them twice, once at Download and once down in Portsmouth. And... 
So I've, it was very much a rock and metal, sort of emo and metal time for me. And I was buying the magazine Kerrang! Kerrang! magazine, which is exclusively rock, pop punk, metal, you know, the heavier side of things. But probably aimed people a little bit younger than I am now, sort of mid-teens, right through to their towards their late 20s maybe however every now and again i'll have a look on in kerrang and see if there's anyone in there that you know there's a special feature on like iron maiden or something and i'd still keep in, t- in touch with it because i had a sus- subscription at the time i absolutely loved the magazine didn't, never missed an issue of it and um this is the kind of world that i was living in so all of a sudden there was a report just tiny little report in kerrang that Lordy, who I was already well aware of through my own listening habits, were going to be the Finnish entry for Eurovision. And everyone thought this was a joke, because there's some jokey moments in the magazine. No, this isn't a joke. This is the, you know, crush your heart, hope to die, it's God's honest truth. Lordy were going to be the Finnish entry. Well, surely they're not going to get past the semi-finals. Nobody's going to take them seriously, and they're never going to do it. Oh, wait. No, they have. They're in, they're in the final, the grand final on Saturday. They're, they're going to be performing there. Well, all of a sudden, there was this huge push. Social media is starting to become a more prevalent thing. Uh, people are, are mostly using MySpace at the time. But you are starting to get some other social networking sites creeping in. And all of a sudden, this campaign just kicked off online to try and get Finland to win Eurovision that year. And it worked. Whatever happened across Europe, it worked. And Lordy, Hard Rock Hallelujah, were the overwhelming winners in 2006. It shouldn't be possible. You look at a lot of the other winners of Eurovision throughout the years, nothing like it has ever won. It's probably a blip. It will probably never happen again. But all of a sudden, you had (laughs) this crazy Finnish monster metal band winning eurovision and every now and again every other year or so they'll pop up like one of the band members will pop up in some eurovision skit while they're waiting for the votes to come in or something it's the most bizarre thing and it's really stuck with people it's really stuck with people it it was just such a mad mad thing it was totally not eurovision but it's like my two worlds colliding my absolute passion and love for Eurovision and the music that I was listening to at the time which I actually still listen to a lot of that music I'm not going to lie to you but it was just this crazy mishmash of my two worlds colliding so obviously I voted for Finland that year I mean why wouldn't I so that was a nice surprise winner and then not an entrant but certainly something that anyone of a certain age is going to remember Uh, back in 1994 Ireland had won Eurovision the year before and they were about to start their back-to-back wins. Uh, So they had won in 1993, which meant they were hosting in 1994. Um, And then I believe they won it again. So, yeah. Anyway, I might be getting my dates muddled up because I'm pretty sure they only won it back-to-back twice and maybe we didn't win it in Ireland in 1997 or maybe there was a year off and then Ireland won it again they won it three years like in quick succession very close together I get so confused 
and it is lockdown. So I've got that wrong. I, I absolutely apologise. But it was anyway. Nineteen ninety four. They have they had won Eurovision in nineteen ninety three. So they were hosting, and they the idea is if you're not familiar with the format of the show, once all the songs have been performed, then the vote the voting lines open and people phone in and vote for their favourite winners. And those votes are combined with judges' votes. Now, the judges base their um, their voting on the performance that they saw during the dress rehearsal, which is like the day before or during the day or something like that. Uh, so they've already made up their mind. And then it's up to the voting public and the votes are combined and then they get an overall score. Um, 12 points. 12 points. Or like, I don't know, like... Uh, Nil point, which means you get absolutely nothing. And we're so used to getting nil point. Anyway, enough of that. Um, <laughs> let's not dwell on that. So during the voting, there still needs to be something on the television for people to watch. So quite often there will be little videos, little video skits done, interviews in the green room area, or just some local entertainment now one of the things Ireland is famous for is its Irish dancing a particular type of dancing where the upper body stays as still as possible and the legs are going crazy underneath and Michael Flatley was asked to come up with a a dance a short dance that could be done as part of this entertainment and he came up with river dance now river dance has gone on to be one of the most famous touring dance shows in the world Michael Flatley's other dance show was uh, Lord of the Dance. But this particular show, River Dance, is still going strong today. It regularly tours all over the world. Um, and it's just the most incredible show. I remember when the full show was put together off the back of Eurovision, uh, a friend of mine, her mother, lent us a video of the live show. And I watched it over and over and over again until we had to give it back absolutely loved it i think we got a copy of the soundtrack as well and i absolutely loved the music and i would pretend i knew what i was doing with irish dancing and stuff like that but it was such good fun absolutely amazing amazing show and all it was was a very short dance a little over five minutes long the premise of river dance is that it's it's following a river that's flowing out to the sea so it starts off as just like a little trickle, a little babbling brook, and it's the two lead dancers, and then they get joined by more dancers, and then as the river swells and it approaches the sea, it's more and more dancers, until the stage is absolutely filled with dancers doing exactly the same thing, and it builds up to this massive crescendo. Um, and, yeah, it was just, yeah, an amazing spectacle. And for some reason, it really captured everyone's imagination. And as I say, the show is still touring. Obviously not with the original dancers. This is like 26 years ago or something now. But if you knew of Riverdance, wherever you are in the world, it has toured all over the United States. It's toured all over China. It's toured all over Europe. Wherever you are in the world, if you have heard of Riverdance... That is where it came from. It came from the Irish entertainment when they were hosting Eurovision in 1994. It's amazing where these things can start off, isn't it? But that is where Riverdance came from. Such an influential dancing show came from Eurovision. And that's what I love about Eurovision. You never know what it is that's going to take off.
One year, it's a troupe of Irish dancers providing the entertainment while the votes are being tabulated. One year, it's a monster metal band unexpectedly winning the competition. Another year, it's a bearded drag queen who has the voice of an angel. You never really know what it is with Eurovision that is going to make everybody sit and take notice. Everybody's been saying that this year the outstanding clear winners were going to be Iceland. It was a very deadpan performance, a very deadpan dance routine, which was funny. It, again, captured the imagination. The song was pretty catchy, has a good sort of bass beat to it. And it was just so different and so unusual, but it was so harmless at the same time. But clearly, completely mad. <laughs> completely mad. And um, it would definitely have won. I think everybody across Europe were just absolutely fascinated by this song. And it should have been the winner this year. Now, unfortunately, it didn't. And unfortunately, it can never win Eurovision. Now, under the rules of Eurovision, the same artist can be submitted infinite number of times by their country. Which means that all the artists that took part, that were due to take part this year, could, in theory, take part next year. There's nothing stopping them. However, they cannot perform the same song again. They have to submit a completely different song. So, unfortunately, that means the gem that was Iceland's entry this year, it cannot it cannot win. If they want to submit the same artist, fine, but it cannot win. So, yeah, this this is a, this is a sad moment, and I know I said I was going to keep it light, but that, that that would take a moment just to appreciate what we what we seem to have lost. But there are already about eighteen artists declared for next year's Eurovision, and I am hoping that this means we are going to have. A competition that we know and love. This time next year, I want to be sat here talking to you about the weird and wonderful madness that was the 2021 Eurovision Song Contest. The other thing is, as well, who hosts it? Because every year, the winning country then has to host it the following year. Well, last year, the Netherlands won it, and they were due to be the hosts this year, and they did use their hosts in this tribute show, but they still needed someone to hold it next year. What do you do? You give it back to the Netherlands. They are, after all, the defending, reigning, defending champions. So they will be hosting it next year. It will be coming from the Netherlands again next year. And I'm very, very much looking forward to that. But we'll wait and see what happens. I mean, the world is upside down right now. And it seems very hard to think beyond the situation that we are currently in. But that's the great thing about Eurovision. It's... A show about hope. It's a show about love. And as long as we look after each other and we look out for each other and we love each other, there is going to be light at the end of the tunnel. We will get through this. And I hope that I will be sat here in my kitchen next year talking to you about the winner of Eurovision possibly complaining that it's not the one that I wanted to win, hopefully telling you it is the one that I wanted to win, and I'll be able to go through all the crazy that happened. So, in the meantime, 
Look after yourselves, because this time next year I want the same number of people to be able to listen to this as listen to it last year. Look after yourselves. Look after each other. Pay attention to what's going on wherever you are. Stay alert, people of the UK. <laughs> Remember, that's what we're supposed to do right now. If you see a piece of the virus coming, jump out of the way. I shouldn't make light of it, but hey, I'm British. I have a dark sense of humour. You're going to learn this about me as that time goes on and I feel a bit more comfortable opening up. If I don't joke about it, I'll probably go and cry in a darkened room somewhere. So, enough of this. Enough of my wittering on. Have a good week, stay safe and look after each other. And I will see you next time for who knows what topic. It could be anything. If you have any suggestions, please do let me know. I would love to know what you would like to hear me talk about, basically. In the meantime, sayonara.